Hello, hello. Welcome to At Home with the Intuitive Cook, the podcast giving a voice to everyday home cooks like you and me. Join me around the kitchen table as we chat about finding cooking ease and inspiration beyond rules and recipes and the noise of celebrity chef culture. It's not rocket science, it's just dinner. Hello and welcome to episode number 10. How amazing is that? I'm your host, Katerina Pavlakis, and I'm at home today with Penny Baker. Penny is an avid knitter and knitting pattern designer, a lover of food and cookbooks, and also very honest about the challenges of everyday cooking. We've had a really down-to-earth, heartfelt conversation. So get yourself a cup of something cozy and let's get into it. Good morning, Penny. How lovely to see you. Thank you for taking the time to chat to me about kitchen adventures and cooking experiences. So yeah, I'd like to get started kind of really early on. So what what would be your first kind of memory of, of cooking or of eating for that matter? Yeah, I was having a think about this, and of cooking seems to be much later than of food. <laughs> um, and I don't know why that is, because my mum always cooked, and I don't know why. I feel like there should be memories there, but for whatever reason, my brain has not decided to keep them. But in terms of food, definitely things like my mum used to make us when we were sick, what was called mashed up egg in a cup, which I think was basically a soft boiled egg which was literally mashed up in a cup but just that kind of it was just really a comforting nice thing for when you were poorly or whatever and really early ones is um my grandmother used to make toad in the hole which was always a complete mystery to me and actually it still is i have no idea how you do that (laughs) but (laughs) i just remember that being sort of such an amazing treat whenever we went to her house that and white bread (laughs) but yeah i think Uh, those are kind of more sort of family cooking ones but then also going to places where for whatever reason we ended up having sort of like fish and chips while we were out and about and when I was very little we lived in Australia and the thing that I always remember is buying scallops which are basically potato fritters and just sort of eating them outside and I just remember that always being kind of very just yeah, lovely. And it was, was such such a treat that we kind of we didn't do it too often, but it was like if we were on holiday and it always just felt very special. It's interesting how we we remember the, the special occasions, either, you know, the kind of food to have when we are poorly, because that is kind of a, a special occasion too, or well, or the special treats that are only connected to certain holidays or going to grandma's place or all these things it's it's lovely that i did just remember as well whole thing about what i wanted for my dinner for my birthday one year i think i must have been eight or so but it was still definitely when we were in australia um, and i had i chose ravioli and i remember this being i felt very grown up because i'd chosen ravioli um i don't know whether that's just <laughs> how our family was or if it was just because it was the 80s i don't know I remember feeling like I'd made a very mature decision. (laughs) I also remember feeling very grown up at a very young age, this kind of thing that kids have this idea. I remember I thought when when I'm 10, I'm going to know everything in the world. 
and I was so sure <laughs> that I would know everything when I turned 10. I'm still waiting. <laughs> yes, exactly, 50 years later. So if you wanted ravioli for your birthday, that means that you would have been aware of such a dish. Mm. Would you eat ravioli at home or in a restaurant? Or I'm assuming that we had it at home, but I really don't know why that was the thing that kind of <laughs> sort of was the highlight. But yeah, I mean, I certainly we didn't go out often. I feel like way back when people just didn't go out as often. So most of the eating was at home. But I, I even remember sort of sitting at the table with it and just being very excited. And <laughs> it's odd where you can sit with it now. You just can go down to the corner shop and they will have ravioli. But, you know, for me, it was super exciting. Well, and it's all about what what it is for you, isn't it? Because our food preferences are so personal. And if it was if it was now, however many decades later, if you were to choose a sort of your desert island dish, what would that be? It would depend a little bit on whether it was sort of like a sort of special occasion desert island or a unfeeling sad desert island. <laughs> but it's a sad desert island, it would be a fish finger sandwich. <laughs> which is not glamorous, but is delicious. But I think sort of like my kind of favorite, favorite thing is probably from Wadamama, actually, although I've tried to replicate, replicate it at home. And so far, I've never managed to. But it's their vegetable katsu curry, and it's delicious. But for whatever reason, I've, I've managed the sauce, but I can't make manage to make the vegetables behave the same. <laughs> but yeah, it, I think definitely a curry, which is odd, because when I was growing up, I would not eat curry. It was too much for me. When we moved to the UK from Australia, we flew Air India. And I believe I sort of existed on that flight basically on Coke, <laughs> Coca-Cola, obviously. <laughs> 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 because I would not eat the food. I wouldn't eat the food. And so it was just like, have some more busy drinks, have some more busy drinks. Whereas now, it's, you know, really something that I love. I think it often is that children don't like certain tastes or maybe strong tastes. I remember as a child, mm. I really didn't like olives. I really didn't like olives. And I can't remember how this happened, but now I actually love olives. Well, they are good. <laughs> so you have a lot of, a lot of really, you know, foodie memories. And I find this really mm. interesting because when I first met you, you were one of these people who said, I hate cooking. And then I also remember, <laughs> you still say that, but I also remember, you know, one of our first sort of community meetups where you actually arrived with a sort of nice cookbook that you had been given for your birthday. So you were showing off your amazing mm. new cookbook. And I find this interesting how you can say you hate cooking and at the same time love cookbooks. How, how does that work? I think I like the idea of cooking much more than I like cooking. And I think it's just sort of like the everydayness. It's just like, oh, gosh, okay, we've got to do that again. You know, right, what are we going to have tonight? Okay, how are we going to do this? And I find that very stressful. But I like the inspiration of cookbooks. I like looking, particularly if they've got lovely pictures, um, and just kind of going, oh, yes, you know, there, there is scope here for deliciousness. 
um, you know, do I want to try any of these things? And then kind of also it's very good for sort of getting flavor combination ideas. And But I just find them aspirational cookbooks. I like them for that. And sometimes nostalgic as well, because I've got a couple of cookbooks that are just kind of quite old Australian cake cookbooks that are just full of things that I kind of remember from being little. I don't know. It's kind of the cooking part of me and the reading about cooking part of me, uh, not the same person. <laughs> the uh, realities of kind of like the everyday are just less exciting than anything you ever see in a book. And it's, you know, my son is seven and he has a very limited range of foods that he will happily eat. You know, it means that when I'm thinking about what to cook, then I'm thinking, okay, what can I make that can be adapted easily so that we're not cooking two dinners? And so it just kind of gets a bit like, oh, all right then. So it always feels like a bit of a chore. And I, I find that when it comes to like dinner, I can't quite shake that. I'm hoping, I'm hoping one day. But I find that when I'm like making my lunch or something, then I feel a lot more free and able to just kind of go, right, what's in the fridge? Um, and I think that, you know, as my son gets older and hopefully has a broader range of foods that he doesn't just look at and go, oh, that looks like sick, that um, <laughs> I will sort of start to find a bit more kind of joy in the whole dinner thing. So what is the kind of, you know, what is your go-to dinner then as opposed to your go-to lunch? How are they different? Um, dinner is usually based around either a very basic carbohydrate, so pasta or rice, sometimes noodles, which then has something with it that my husband and I can eat so that the food actually tastes like something, <laughs> um, or is something alongside some version of breaded chicken. <laughs> That's, you know, we do other things, but you don't want to cook more than one thing <laughs> then that's kind of the starting point so it's kind of like right what carbohydrate will we go with and then what can the grown-ups actually have with that <laughs> whereas when it comes to lunch i can just go oh look there's some tofu in the fridge let's have that because this marinated tofu you can get i just love that and so i can just cook that with a bit of vegetables and it's all lovely and delicious and i'm perfectly happy but I wouldn't really even think about doing that for dinner. And what does your son say about tofu on its own? I think we've had questions about what is it, um, but he's kind of just looked at it and kind of gone, no, I don't want that. That looks horrible. Which, I mean, in fairness, it wouldn't be that long ago that I would have agreed with him. <laughs> so I can't be too kind of upset about that. But yeah, he's not particularly adventurous. And so if he's helping to cook, then he will kind of smell and taste a little bit. But he never likes it. He just takes basically because he's seen me do it. So it was like, can I add some salt in? Can I add pepper in? Can I add herbs in? Um, and then he'll kind of like get the spoon and bring it up to his nose to kind of decide whether or not it sort of smells okay, <laughs> which I, I like. And I think it's encouraging. <laughs> he, he enjoys that, but he just doesn't want to eat it. Well, but that's how it starts with the smelling and the tasting, isn't it? And I think, you mm -hmm. know, those, I don't know what I would call them. Anyway, those who, you know, help families sort of overcome picky eating, I think there is a lot there that can be said about, you know, you have to go at the pace of the child and feeling safe around the food 
comes before mm. actually thinking that you can ingest that. So therefore, smelling and eating and cooking is the way to go, isn't it? He did surprise us this week by coming home and saying that he wanted to make cupcakes. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what kind of cupcakes? And um, he said, oh, well, at school, I had this carrot cake and I really liked it. I just sat there thinking, you've never voluntarily eaten carrot cake before. <laughs> but for whatever reason, he did. And uh, so, yeah, he was just like, I want us to make carrot cake. But I've now got some carrots, so we will try it. Well, hopefully he won't have forgotten his positive carrot cake experience by then. So, do you remember learning to cook? Do you remember maybe a light bulb moment that came about as you got into that? I don't know that I cooked very much until maybe I went to university. Um, I do have some memories of my brother and I. Um, when we were old enough to be left at home alone in the school holidays, that we had a variety of cooking explorations <laughs> that, that we are still mocked for <laughs> by my parents, and understandably so. I remember us trying to make toffee, but neither of us really knew how that whole thing worked, the sort of like boiling and the sort of sugar having to reach the temperatures and all of this. So we basically made some sugary water and put it in the freezer, <laughs> which is brilliant. And uh, we also used to make a thing that I'm pretty sure was just a very basic flour and water dough with an insane amount of sugar that we would bake in the oven. But we, we thought it was stunning. <laughs> and I'm sure it felt stunning at the time. <laughs> but I think other than that, I mean, I had cookery lessons at school, but I really didn't enjoy them. And a lot of that was baking. You know, it's, this is how you make cheese straws from scratch. And I think there was a letter on profiteroles, although I think I was ill that day, which my husband has never given me for that. <laughs> but, you know, it was a kind of like a lot of baking and puddings, and it wasn't really anything particularly helpful. I remember there being once a lesson on tomato soup, and I'm still not quite sure why that was like the one kind of actual food item that they wanted us to make. But yeah, I, I never enjoyed them. But then I think when I went to university, that's when it kind of started to get a bit more interesting. I was in halls that did breakfast and dinner, except they didn't do dinner at the weekends and they didn't do lunch. And so lunch kind of was usually not really much in the way of cooking. And obviously it was a really small cooking environment. They had like one saucepan and, you know, about a quarter of an inch in a fridge that you were sharing with 28 other people. So it was tricky. But um, there was um, a couple of people that I was living with who were very good cooks. <laughs> so I ended up learning an awful lot from them. Um, like one girl, she was quite regularly would kind of fry up a whole bunch of vegetables with spices for her dinner. And it always just looked and it smelled delicious and it was I think the first time I really met chickpeas I was just like oh these are really nice and she would actually cook cucumber which to me was insane I'd never met cucumber anywhere except either a sandwich which I don't like or in a salad sauce you can do that <laughs> um, and that was brilliant and so I find the fun you know over those kind of years at university it kind of it built up a lot more into something that I kind of started to get a bit more confidence with but I didn't particularly enjoy it still, i uh, got to admit. But I was, you know, starting to build up more of a ability to do it for myself and also to realise how much I had absorbed from my mum 
things that I didn't really realize I knew, like this is how you make a white sauce. I don't think I did that at university, but I remember, you know, other people doing it. I was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. And just that kind of, there clearly was osmosis going on. <laughs> I did pick things up, but my brain apparently just packed them away and decided to hold off until I needed them. <laughs> but yeah, I think cooking becoming a bit more fun, I think really was more after I moved out of halls. I was, you know, living by myself or with friends and then later with my husband. And it was kind of more cooking because you were more, there were less limitations in terms of sort of like fridge space and, you know, pans and everything, but also more ability just to go, actually, this is what I want and this is what I feel like. And that was a lot more fun. And, you know, you could kind of like wander off to the shop and see what they had. And, you know, they um, one of the places that I lived for a little while was right across the road from a, Middle Eastern shop and that was brilliant because I could just kind of go over there and poke around on the shelves and go ah okay I don't know what this is but I'm having it <laughs> and shake it home and see what happens so you know it uh, I think what it comes down to is probably actually I quite like cooking if there's no pressure if there is pressure then I want to hide and go could, could we get takeaway <laughs> But that's not a very realistic thing most of the time. I guess, you know, that is probably a feeling that is familiar to a lot of people that, you know, pressure is just kind of, you know, overtaking the joy. And then, so so what is, what is the pressure? Oh, it's entirely, it's not entirely in my own head. There is no pressure. Um, not really. I mean, obviously, I don't require particularly high level cooking skills to make my son happy with his dinner. And my husband is very good at just eating whatever is given. You know, it's absolutely fine. And it's, it is all in my head. I think it's because I have this perception of other people as good cooks, you know, friends that like invite you over for dinner. I don't invite people over for dinner because then I would have an absolute meltdown about what to feed them. But you sort of like my mum, for example, she enjoys cooking. And because I don't, <laughs> I think I'm kind of like, I don't have confidence with it. And I just, I don't want the potential judgment. So I would much rather not have to cook for people. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's just one of those weird things where your own head gets in your way. It's just like, actually, I'm not a terrible cook. I'm not a confident cook and I'm not going to be a master chef anytime soon, but that's okay. I don't want to do that. From all the, you know, things you said so far, you're definitely someone who thinks a lot about deliciousness and, you know, get some delicious stuff on the table whenever you can. So in my book, that is a good cook. Well, my mother-in-law is staying at the moment and she always likes to come here because she likes the sauces I do for pasta. And so I'm just like, hey, I'm all right. <laughs> well, you see, someone actually thinks you're a brilliant cook even. It's all good. Yeah. And it's interesting how maybe, you know, when we get into this idea that we're not good at something, it doesn't have to be cooking, could be anything. When we get into this idea, then our brain shows us all the reasons why this is true. Because if you start looking for all the reasons, you know, why you are a good cook, because your mother-in-law liked this dish, because your husband said yesterday, wow, this is delicious, because you magicked an amazing dinner with tofu and vegetables. You know, if you start looking for those little proofs of why you are a good cook, you'll start seeing them because your brain is going to show you what you're looking for. It's true. Yeah. I, I know this about myself. I do it with everything. I think I'm terrible at everything. 
And so it's fine. <laughs> I kind of was like, I have been getting more confidence. And I think interestingly, I think lockdown helped because it meant, you know, particularly early lockdown when it was really hard to get everything and we were getting random boxes of sort of food and vegetables from sort of like catering companies that had started kind of doing sort of food delivery because they'd had to close their restaurants and things. And just really having to kind of go, okay, so what have we got? <laughs> it's kind of like a veg box, but for everything. But also, you know, it didn't feel like there was a pressure because everybody was going, uh, how do we deal with this again? That, that definitely helped. And then also lockdown is where I found my love of sourdough bread, which I think I was not alone in that one. <laughs> but it just made me so happy. Yeah. I, uh, I miss the sourdough bread actually. So tell me more about how you, you know, going from I hate cooking to baking bread makes me happy. So what happened there? I don't really know. I think part of it with the sourdough is obviously, you know, you do tend to think of that as incredibly involved. And I found a recipe that and a method that wasn't particularly involved. I mean, obviously, you know, you have the starch and you have to not kill it, which I, I did repeat. <laughs> but I found a sort of method for making it that really was just literally a couple of minutes here and there out the day. And it was just so delicious. And even my son ate it. He was happy with it. Um, and it was just like, you know, when people came to visit, they were just like, are you going to make bread? And it was just, it was delicious. And I mean, you can't really go wrong with sort of like fresh bread. And I mean, I was going to say jam, but to be honest, just anything, you know, butter and Vegemite or ham, or it doesn't really matter. It's just, you can't go wrong with bread. So yeah, I think <laughs> that was kind of my kind of cooking. <laughs> sort of soul going, ah, <laughs> we like this. Now you stopped making it because of time or because of trying to change your diet or why have you stopped making it? Um, because I am trying to eat less in the way of carbohydrates because I've got type 2 diabetes, which is sad. Um, and I just know that if I made the bread, I would eat far more of it than was good for me. So particularly if I wanted to have jam or something on it, that's just adding insult to injury. But I have been thinking about it. Maybe I just need to have a starter sitting around in the fridge because we all loved having the bread and it was a process that I found fun. And I think, you know, there's a sort of middle line to be found with eating healthily that, you know, you can't just say, right, that's it. I'm only going to have, you know, food with 0% carbohydrates in it and I'm never eating sugar again. Well, that's just going to be an absolutely miserable life <laughs> so i'm kind of like actually i think i'm going to see if i can find a way to fit bread into the sort of middle way <laughs> because it's lovely and it's much nicer than the stuff you get from the shops exactly and if so. you are still eating some bread it's definitely going to be much well much tastier as you say but also much healthier to eat some of your own bread but that is a really you know very good point you're making there that and it's a very fine line and not easy to to walk that line between you know not making your life miserable or not being obsessive about food or, or anything else for that matter but still you know managing to nourish your body in the way that it's well it's nourishing and depending on where we are with our health journey this may be changing but yeah mm -hmm. this sort of fine line between not getting obsessed about anything i for me it was more like menopause that made me look at 
what I was eating and mm. how that was impacting. In my case, I was just so tired. And, and changing what I eat really made a difference. So yes, I'm eating less bread now as well. But if I want to have like Sunday breakfast with eggs, I'm going to have a piece of toast. <laughs> so I just don't kind of live on bread and cheese anymore. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing, isn't it? That, you know, obviously, you, you know, you get all of this input from whether it's the media or medical people kind of saying, you know, this is what you should eat to be healthy. But none of that really factors in the sort of mental and emotional aspects of food. And you can't take that away. That's why if you were to take out all of the kind of bread and cheese and sweets and all of that, you would be miserable because we've got an entire society that is telling us that those are foods that you have when you need comforting. It's just like if you've had a bad day, someone that, you know, might kind of like, go, oh, I bought you a treat or whatever. You know, there's a whole mental thing with that that we've all been raised with and you can't just ignore it. And so you can't just go, okay, that's it. I am literally only ever going to eat vegetables. And I guess what you can do is switch your perception of what is a treat, you know? Does it have to be a packaged cookie or can you make some cookies with almond flour yourself? Or, you know, can you train your palate to like dark chocolate instead of milk chocolate? rather than say, oh, I can't have chocolate anymore, which is going to make you miserable. But, you know, dark chocolate is actually good for you, even if you have diabetes. Mm. Well, I've been doing an exploration of the various dark chocolates that the supermarkets do. <laughs> I, I know which ones I like from each supermarket. <laughs> because it's surprising how variable they can be. And I suppose it makes sense, actually. Maybe it's not surprising, because obviously there's less in terms of like sugar and milk to kind of disguise the actual flavor of whatever type of cocoa they've used for it. But uh, so it's, you know, there is so much variation and some of them are, well, unpleasant, let's be honest. Some of them really are. <laughs> and there are others that are actually just, you know, taste almost fruity and it just, it doesn't taste like you're being healthy. It just tastes lovely and minty and chocolatey all at once and it's brilliant. But you, know, you, I suppose, do have to kind of do a certain amount of testing out. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> yeah, well, there's what's wrong with that. Test what, what you like, you know, whether it's a combination of spices for your curry or the type of dark chocolate. But yeah, you're right. I think this is why it is so variable, because cocoa is variable and, you know, sugar like white sugar is white sugar is white sugar. There is no variation in it. And of course, what is missing in the dark chocolate is the amount of sugar, because if you have more cocoa in it, you're automatically have less sugar in it. So that's something that I often tell people who come in the shop and they're saying, oh, you know, I shouldn't be eating so much chocolate. What else do you have? You know, what about these harrop covered raisins? But I mean, yes, okay, there is no cocoa in that, but there is still sugar in the coating. So it's much better to get yourself into dark chocolate than, I mean, carob is very healthy in itself, but a, a glazing of carob and sugar is just as unhealthy as a glazing of chocolate and sugar or yogurt and sugar or... Yeah. 
I grew up with carob because when I was very little, my parents were very into healthy eating and we really didn't have a lot of like sweets and stuff around. So I remember having carob and it was one of those things I came back to later and I was kind of going, oh, (laughs) I don't like this. (laughs) But uh, I think it's kind of, it is definitely different from chocolate. You can't eat it expecting it to be chocolate. But I can see how, you know, it's similar, but you're not going to get the same from carob as you are from a bar of dairy milk. (laughs) And now, my kitchen friends, it's time for a quick break to see what I've been cooking up for you. If you ever feel trapped by recipes or wish you could get more creative in your kitchen, I made a free mini course. It's called Ditch the Recipes, and it's a short series of five emails that will help you get started on your intuitive cooking journey. Sign up on the website at theintuitivecook.co.uk slash free, or find the link in the show notes. And now, let's get back to our conversation. So, yeah, you've been sort of involved in my world of intuitive cooking for a while now, so... What does intuitive cooking mean for you after you've been around it for a while? I think it's it's always really helped me to kind of change my headspace with cooking because so much of the kind of stress with the whole dinner thing kind of comes from, well, my meal plan says that tonight we are having shepherd's pie, but I don't want to make that because I'm tired and that takes forever and then my son won't eat it anyway. You know what? Let's just throw the meal plan out the window which obviously is, you know, a jump that you don't need to make. (laughs) But it is when you kind of have that sort of very, right, this is what we're doing this day, this is what we're doing this day, and this is how you do it, it gets quite restrictive. And whereas now I feel a much more comfortable kind of going, yeah, I'm not doing that. Okay, so what can we do? Um, Is there something else we've got? Could I do something else with that mince? And just, I feel like there's a lot more freedom and it is something that my husband's been picking up on as well. He is not a confident cook. He's less confident than I am. And he really, if you say to him, can you make dinner? You need to then say, this is what you need to make. And this is what you need to do to make it. But over time, you know, he's now become much more confident as well in kind of just putting together a pasta sauce or something. And that's really good because it feels like it's kind of opened all of us up to a slightly more relaxed approach to dinner (laughs) we are more able to kind of just think on the run you know we kind of have constant stream of like after school activities and long work days and you know it's very easy to look through a recipe book and think oh that looks like an awesome dinner let's put that on and that one and that one but it doesn't really last once real life hits it (laughs) Whereas with a more sort of intuitive and relaxed approach, just like, right, what have we got and what do we feel like? You can just kind of go with the flow a bit more. But also, you know, it's been really helpful in terms of wasting less food and being a bit more just, I was going to say random, but it's not really random, but just trying out new flavor combinations and going, well, I used half a tin of chickpeas, right. What am I going to put the rest of the chickpeas in tonight? And it's just a lot more, it's more adventurous. And it does mean that the things that we are eating with our pasta or rice or noodles <laughs> are much more varied. It's not just, you know, oh, we're having bolognese tonight or, you know, 
will have some kind of chicken sauce tonight. It's, you know, it, it's harder to identify what the meals are. You know, you can't really say, oh, this is spaghetti bolognese because it's not. It's spaghetti with this random list of ingredients. But, you know, we're not writing recipe books. They don't need to have names. <laughs> I just need to <laughs> be nice and yummy. Or you could make up names if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> That that's actually something that I might do because <laughs> that sounds fun. Slip <laughs> through some sort of like <laughs> dictionaries for in thesauruses for sort of interesting words. Yeah, I, I once I read an article about seasoning with words and how adding kind of description like tomato sauce is you know the simple version, but if you say summer tomato sauce. Or an Italian tomato sauce, or you know, my grandma's tomato sauce. <laughs> this all sounds a lot more special, a lot more delicious, even mm. though, well, it is seasoning with words. So I, I really like that concept. So having you know, slowly changing your approach and your headspace around you know everyday cooking. What do you think are your favorite? tips or hacks you could share with with people what what is it what makes things easier for you or tastier for you my favorite thing at the moment is putting lentils in everything <laughs> because you know the whole cost of living thing i mean meat at the moment is so expensive and it's you know that that's been something that i've been doing a lot of is you know if we're making something with mints like last night we made a spaghetti, well, it wasn't spaghetti, but pasta sauce that had mints in it, but we needed to feed an extra person. And I was just sort of looking at the amount that we had and going, well, that's not going to work and we're not getting any more. So, all right, lentils. So a tin of lentils. And the thing is that they, I like the way they sort of just go all sucked in. But they definitely add something texture-wise, I think. But yeah, in general, tinned pulses are going in pretty much everything at the moment. Partly because I like them, but partly because it helps to bulk everything else. <laughs> but um, something else that I have done is drastically reduce my spice cupboard. <laughs> and one of those cupboards where, you know, you kind of like buy something because you used it in a recipe once. And then you look at the dates and realize that it's from 2013. <laughs> so that, that's moved into three different houses with me. Okay. <laughs> so I kind of I went through that and kind of just focused on ones that I actually use and that's not to say that I'm not going to bring in new ones to, you know for whatever reason but if I'm trying to get a flavor that something that I've got won't do but there's so often so many ways that you can kind of get the same effect with a similar spice anyway that you know I, I, I don't really want a massive cupboard full of things because then it will go off and I'll have to throw it out 10 years later so <laughs> it's just it's not ideal I mean, it's things like um, cinnamon. We are a non-cinnamon household because my husband is allergic to it. Cinnamon guns in a lot of things. <laughs> but, you know, so often, you know, it, you have to be a little careful about the amount, but you can get away with just using some nutmeg or <laughs> just kind of adding other bits to just heighten the flavour in other ways. And it all works out. But, you know, it's just, yeah, I'm definitely trying to have fewer options which somehow creates more options that is weird but 
Ah, that is a really, really good point. Having to work with some restrictions is actually getting your imagination going or it's forcing you to be creative and suddenly that is really opening up. Well, as you said, having less options is opening up more options. Yeah, and I find that's something that comes up if I do find myself cooking with somebody else. When the last time my parents were here, I was cooking something with my mum. I think it was another mince-based pasta sauce, definitely a staple around here. But we had both felt that it needed to be sweeter. And it turned out that we had quite different approaches to how to make it sweet. <laughs> and it's just quite interesting because ultimately, the, you know, the different approaches got there, but just in different ways. And it just shows how much you can kind of just look around what you have and kind of do something quite random. I mean, I have, and I'm sort of half ashamed and half proud of this, <laughs> but I have actually used golden syrup to sweeten a pasta sauce before because we had a supermarket order where they accidentally sent us far more of it than we needed. <laughs> the sauce needed to be sweeter. It was a tiny amount. You couldn't tell what it was, but it did the job. And why why would you half be ashamed about that? <laughs> well, it's not really the kind of thing, is it, that you would expect. <laughs> you kind of expect people just to be a bit like, oh, why on earth would you do that? It, it, it tastes like flapjacks. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's the thing, you know. A lot of flavors just melt together and they are all playing a role, but it doesn't mean, you know, the same way if you start a sauce or a stew or a soup with, you know, by, by softening some onions. It's not that you have onion soup. It's just that you're creating that background depth that you then yeah. build the other flavors on. If you want to do onion soup, you need a lot more onion and not much else. And, and then, yeah, that's not something else. So, so I think that is a really good point you're making that, you know, there is many different ways to get a similar effect. You know, if you want, to lift the flavor with something zingy, you know, it could be all sorts of things. It could be lemon juice, it could be vinegar, it could be pickles, it could be sauerkraut, it could be, I don't know, all sorts of things. And, you know, I've certainly put strange things into dishes just because I thought, oh, well, that, that will do. I also have a thing about putting, you know, strange ingredients into dishes. Like, you know, I will put soy sauce in a lot of things just to get some savoriness. Yeah, it won't taste of soy sauce. Yeah, I also have a thing about pomegranate molasses, which I know is a sort of often being derided as a sort of elitist ingredient that you only buy for an Otolenghi recipe. But it's like a wonderfully fruity kind of sour sweet or sweet and sour thing that goes with a lot of things like stir fried cabbage with pomegranate molasses. I love it. It's so good. And that's not something I've ever tried. I don't even know where I would find it. But <laughs> so yeah, that, that sounds interesting. Yeah, well, best thing to use up what you've got in your cupboard, as you said. So Yeah, absolutely. But I will keep an eye out, nevertheless. <laughs> so when you said that, you know, what is off-putting about cooking for you is a lot of the, the sort of the pressure. Mm. So, but when... When cooking feels good, how does it make you feel? Um, very accomplished um, and like a proper grown-up <laughs> because I, I have a 
this theory that we all feel like we're masquerading as grown-ups and that there are certain things that just make you feel very grown-up. And for me, definitely cooking is one of those things. And I think, you know, it also makes me feel like I am being a good parent <laughs> as well. So I haven't just gone to McDonald's. <laughs> it may well just be pasta and cheese and frozen peas and corn, but it's really... <laughs> With you know, that hasn't been deep fried. But I think it oddly it can make me feel quite sort of happy and calm. I just never know going in if it's going to be one of those days. It's, it's like I said at the beginning, I like the idea of cooking more than I like cooking. I want to like cooking, and sometimes if I let myself, I just about can. <laughs> but <laughs> it's still a journey, <laughs> definitely. But I think. I am progressive on my journey and you know I do really find that all of the sort of sessions that we have and the kind of chat in the community is really helpful because you come across like ideas that you hadn't thought of um all of the lovely grids that you create awesome love those because that just helps so much to make me just think oh this is exciting let's go on a little food experiment what have we got so I just need something for protein and I need this and I need this. It's like, oh, okay, I've just created a new meal. <laughs> and that is exciting. And I think for all, I love recipe books because I do. I really do. It's odd. I don't tend to make the things, but I love them. But it is much more fun when it is just an adventure and you're just exploring and trying to have fun with it. Lovely. Well, here's to more fun with <laughs> cooking. Thank you, Penny. That was that was such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. No problem. Something. That's great. Thanks for joining us for this episode of At Home with the Intuitive Cook. Check out the show notes for links and tasty morsels. And remember, fresh episodes are served up every other Friday. Subscribe to stay tuned and keep exploring the joys of everyday cooking. Until next time, stay curious, trust your taste and don't forget, it's not rocket science, it's just dinner. <laughs>